all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. Welcome to the fifth episode of Our Kind of Pod, brought to you by no one. Uh, still no sponsors, but that's okay because Stanton and I continue to muse on the Husky football season with or without sponsorship. We broke down the bright spots, of which there were many, from the forking of the ASU Sun Devils, looked at the numbers that tell the story of the UW football season so far, devised a route into the playoffs, kind of, and uh, and previewed the week in college football, picked our great cat at OKGs of the week, as always. Let's go. All right, welcome to, what is this, six of these by my count? No, this is five. This is five. I was counting them this, uh, this morning, yeah. Five our kind of pods of the 2018 football season. Um, congrats, man. We survived the ASU pod. Last last year didn't work. We uh, we jinxed ourselves riding the UW hype train, and then they lost uh, miserably in Tempe. Yeah, that was our very first pod ever, right? <laughs> yeah, that should have been like um, <laughs> like a pilot episode that that no one ever saw until much Not later. Reading. Yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, luckily, about six people heard it, so um, we're we're okay on that. Uh, we survived the Huskies win, twenty seven to twenty in what was a uh, a weird game. Been a lot of those where it felt like the Huskies could have won by by twenty, but they only won by seven. Uh, Herm Edwards played to win the game, you know, mm-hmm. kept kept it very much a, a close game heading into the fourth quarter. But I also don't know how much Herm really uh, really played to win the game because Nikhil Harry had four four catches and um, never got thrown to past the past the sticks. It was kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, well, look at the secondaries going against. Very true. It's the best one you'll see all all season, I would bet. Yeah, very true. But um, yeah, Manny Wilkins was was just playing Candyland of just little little dink and ducks up up the yeah. up the field didn't quite work out for him um so we survived uh you and I both had to rewatch the game uh for di- for different reasons I don't know if we want to expand too much on that uh mine was due to uh some some heavier beers and the fact that it was a 10:30 start time on a Saturday night for me uh mm-hmm. yours is just due to old fashioned uh Kraken and Connor Garrity yeah, and just in really just enjoying the tailgate. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we gave it a nice run through just to refresh the memory last night. There um, you go. I think I think we'll we'll be good to go though. Absolutely. Yeah. Sharp sharp as tax. Let's let's get mm-hmm. into it. Uh, first down. Speaking of sharp. Speaking of high performing. First down goes to Ben Burkirvan, your Rose Bowl Player of the Week. I didn't even know they had that award. Yeah. Well, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I, I saw that and I was like, well, the Rose Bowl is on, you know, January 1st or one of those days. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, hey, it's great. Rose Bowl, that means greatness. So it's I good feel to like, be associated with that. I feel like whoever's in charge of the Rose Bowl Player of the Week award just kind of is asleep at the wheel and just, just like wakes up and like, oh shit, we forgot to send that out last week. And they just, <laughs> <laughs> just tweet it out because I'd never, ever heard of the Rose Bowl Player of the Week. Yeah. Until. Yeah, me neither. BBK. Well, he won a few. Yeah. He won, like, the Bronco Nagurski National Defensive Player of the Week Award, which, by the way, Bronco Nagurski, um, great, great football player. I can't tell you uh, wh- who he played for, to be honest. I've just heard the name, but an incredible name. Almost as good as Ben Burkirvin's performance this weekend, which uh, you saw him uh, rack up 20 tackles, 14 of which were solo, 
forced two fumbles, had one fumble recovery, almost had two fumble recoveries, actually. Um, it was the most tackles by a Husky defender since 1996 when John Fiala, I believe is his mm. last name, had 22. So that was 22 years ago. So back-to-back Defensive Player of the Week honors, up to 53 tackles on the season for Ben, which is fifth most in the nation, 30 more than the next UW defender, most in the Pac-12. I think he's a serious first-team all-conference contender, which leads me to the question of this down. Is he better, or do you think he is better because he doesn't have the long hair anymore? <laughs> Thoughts? Um, that's a good question. That a that's a good question. Aerodynamics? Yeah, it could be. He he does seem much faster than he did last year. I don't know. I don't know what that is. It could be. It could be the 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 lack of drag. Um, that he's. I think there's something here. Yeah, that he doesn't have to deal with now. Um, uh, that's that's for sure. Uh, he is a human missile. That's for sure. He had 20 tackles on 68 plays, which is basically uh, a tackle every third play uh, that he's involved in. 92.9 grade from Pro Football Focus for the week. Uh, Chris Peterson called him a, a heck of a player, which is about as great a compliment <laughs> as you could possibly get from, from Chris Peterson. One heck of a player. Uh, great instincts, smart. Uh, yeah, that's that's OKG of the week material right there from Coach mm-hmm. Pete. Uh, he was playing like nickel. Like there, there was a lot of three down linemen, which is not uh, unfamiliar for for Husky defense. Uh, but it put it put uh, BBK way away from the the line of scrimmage, and he was still just coming out of nowhere to make plays. It was it was pretty in- incredible what he was doing. Um, just just the sheer volume of plays that he was in on. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's been quite the season so far, and I don't see him slowing down at all. Like I feel, I feel like it's the first team All Conference linebacker spot is is completely his to lose at this point. And remember, uh, Kervin led the team in tackles last year. I think with like eighty three, uh, was not probably going to start the season as a linebacker because Azim Victor was suspended for the first. I forget. It was, I think it was three games. Um, and then, and then Burke Irvin took his spot and never, ever gave it back, which, um, just shows the, you know, sometimes it's just the intensity that he plays with. Izzy Victor is probably a guy that would get picked first in kickball. Um, but, uh, but Burke Irvin just beat him out because of sheer, sheer force of will. Some, a, a, a small thing that I found somewhat, uh, Someone just nice to see is is when I was looking up his what his recruiting situation was like a few years back. He's from Menlo Park, which is right near Stanford. Uh, no offer from Stanford, mm. so uh, it's nice that that they didn't pick him instead of uh, or you know they didn't offer him because I feel like Stanford gets all the big guys that we're going for. But yeah, yeah, one slip to the cracks. Thank you. Who's the uh, who? Who would you say in in soccer? Is like the midfielder that runs the most. Is it is it Modric? That, is that who I'm thinking of? I'm. I mean, that is one of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's just what I feel like. Like Burke Irvin is. He's just like the amount of of like if they tracked uh, distance, like he he would be logging several miles uh, just in in spanning the field over and over. Just a terrier like approach to the game. A true number ten in the middle. <laughs> I think that's twice I've done that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well <laughs> so, done. Thank you. Thank you. Spanning multiple um, multiple sports. BBK is is fantastic. Any other lasting thoughts before we move on to to second down? 
No, let's just keep the good times rolling, pretty much. Let's let's roll them and then let's blow them up because it's time, my friend, uh, for a stats bomb, right? It's oh uh, boy, yeah. We are we are four <laughs> four games into the season, which is an okay sample size um, for college football. Eight games is obviously a lot better for the sheer volume, but also you get some of the riffraff games um, out of there or make them matter less. Anyways, I'm gonna throw out a bunch of stats at you. Um, I'll, there's kind of three levels to these of, you know, just kind okay. of your, your basic stats first and let me know which ones surprise you or stand out to you. UW is 91st in the country in third down defense, giving up almost 41% uh, conversion rate on third down, 47th in third down uh, offense on the other side at 430 mm-hmm. or at 43% on offense on third down. UW is 51st in penalties committed at 23 Interestingly enough, Ohio State, Michigan, and Alabama, three three you know well-coached, great teams, uh, all have more than 30 flags committed this season over four games. UW wow. is 75th in turnover margin at a minus one right now. Have not uh, have have given up more turnovers than they have than they have forced, uh, which is very uncharacteristic and something that I'm sure just irks Jimmy Lake's soul to no end. Uh, I'm sure he's mm-hmm. just just rolling over in his sleep over it over and over at night. Uh, and then UW, in terms of strength of schedule, this is a gem that you found, actually. UW has the sixth most difficult schedule in the nation so far through four games. What stood out to you uh, in that opening salvo of stats that I just threw out? Well, I think the most glaring one is third down defense, being 91st on third down defense, but only allowing 12.8 points per game, which that just doesn't add up. And I think what it comes down to is a lot of teams are kind of t- like cutting their losses and <laughs> understanding that it's going to be a tough, you know, tough go against this defense. So I feel like they're just gunning for that third and mid to third and short type yeah. of situation. Uh, Brock Heward was talking about it on the, on the broadcast this weekend. Um, you know, that third and five, third and manageable, um, and it just seems to be kind of working so far. Um, I don't really know what we need to change because the defense is playing pretty pretty well right now. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely it's something that you hope improves because 91st in the country is not good. Yeah, and, and Arizona State, which was interesting, they played the same style as they did last year in Tempe, which is basically a, a form of keep away and, and, like you said, the third manageable setup. Um, interesting to see that style transfer from both Tempe to Seattle and then also over coaches last year from Todd Graham uh, to, to, uh, to Herm Edwards, obviously, this year. So that was that was interesting, and I, I, I agree uh, that turnovers and, and the uh, third down defense are, are definitely things that this defense wants to get turned around. More defensive stats coming your way in just a second. Uh, UW has allowed one passing touchdown through the first four games. Uh, no one mm. has allowed zero, and three other teams, I think, have allowed one. Uh, and the one passing touchdown, I don't know if you remember, mm-hmm. it was on the very first drive that Auburn had to freaking Sal uh, Canoli or whatever it was, uh, who looks like Post Malone. Sal Post Malone <laughs> Canoli <Cannoli>. has <laughs> one other catch this entire season for two yards. Uh, so that guy... Went up and got a fade uh, on the first drive over Jordan Miller, and then has done basically nothing nice. the rest of the season, which is um, both comforting, That's efficiency, comforting, yeah, comforting and uh, terrifying at the same time. Um, so there's that, which is a, a staple of Jimmy Lake defenses, is that, that you just don't score on them via the pass game. 
uh, S and P Plus, which is a is a okay. you know, very you know he- heavy nerd stat here. Uh, but SB take, Nation, right? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Football Outsiders. But Don't, okay. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, great site. But S and P Plus <laughs> okay. measures five factors on both offense and defense. The efficiency of your plays, so how many yards can you get in shortest amount of plays? Explosiveness, so yards per play. Field position of like how how far are you having to go in drives? Finishing drives with scoring, and then also the turnovers committed and forced. UW offensively is 31st in the nation based off of these five factors. Defensively is third in the nation. Guess wow. guess who's number one and number two uh, in S and P plus on defense. Am I supposed to be shocked by this? Um, maybe. Oh man, uh, is Auburn up there? Uh, yeah, Auburn and Utah are your number one and two S and P plus wow. defenses. Both teams we played. <laughs> Both teams we played on the road this season, which wow. certainly gives you some hope um, that the rest of the season will will look much much better for the Huskies on offense. Um, through four games, you know Auburn's got some, some, uh, some, some definite cupcakes in that in that time period, um, and as does Utah, who has just played three games. But still, some of the better defenses in the country, mm-hmm. uh, UW has played both of them. Uh, and the last stat I have for you is Jake Browning is 34th in the nation in yards per attempt. Um, not great, not great. You definitely want him to be much higher in that regard. But uh, you know, given what we just talked about with the defenses he's played, hopefully that number. Uh, that that ranking escalates uh, closer to the top twenty by the end of the season. And thirty fourth, I mean, think about all the quote unquote turmoil we've had with Jake Browning over Very the true. first four weeks of the season. So you know, thirty fourth isn't that bad when yeah. you think about it. That's um, but, that's true. Uh, back to your one of your earlier stats about UW being one of only four teams giving up only one passing touchdown so far. Um, the other teams were Utah, Georgia Southern, and South Florida. Utah's only passing touchdown they've given up on defense was against UW, was at the hands of UW. Ty Jones. And, yep. And then Utah and Georgia Southern have only played three games, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So UW and USF, has a, it's a little more impressive on their behalf. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and no one has, none of those three teams have had to play. Uh, Jared Stidham either, mm-hmm. um, but but still, yeah, some some good things for sure, but also some troubling things and some things to keep an eye on. Uh, mm-hmm. You and I have talked extensively about UW's troubles on third down, on offense and defense. That was a big theme last year and one of our concerns heading into this year. So hopefully, uh, that situation gets turned around. For third down, wow, that was um, I could have done that segue perfectly if I quite, if I had re- if I had really thought about it. Uh, talking about <laughs> third downs, going into third down. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it is time to talk about the offense, which looked, uh, despite only twenty-seven points, that was by far the offense's best game of the season uh, on Saturday against against ASU. Uh, what stood out to you in that uh, in that effort? Yeah, and yeah, the the best thing, the thing that stood out to me was, I think this was the best game for the offensive line so far this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they generally kept Jake upright for most of the game, opened some big holes for the run, especially early to get that uh, going early in the game. Uh, Jared Hilbers started at left tackle, but traded second down, second half drives with Henry Roberts. So I think they're still kind of trying to figure out who their guys are mm-hmm. uh, that they can stick with for the entirety of a game. Or they're just 
given people some reps and a breather, which is fine if they're at the same level. Um, to be honest, I don't watch the line as closely as some other people, so I'm probably not the best to talk about, <laughs> but talk that, about that with. But um, overall, the line seemed great. Um, tight ends were also getting involved too. Uh, K. Dotton had a couple blocks. You sent me that video of him just absolutely bulldozing a guy over down yep. down the sideline uh, on one of our runs. And then the running backs were involved early and often um, with a 21-10 and three carry split between Gaskin, Ahmed, and Pleasant. Mm -hmm. Gaskin going for 86 on those 21 carries. Ahmed going for 71 on his 10 carries, um, which was pretty awesome to see. And then Kamari Pleasant going for 18 on his three carries. Um, So, yeah, all in all... It was, I think, a pretty positive day for the offense. Aaron Fuller got his got his first touchdown of the season. Ty a, Jones, a proud father for sure. Yeah, yeah, correct. That yeah, that's a given. Mm-hmm. Um, Ty Jones continues to be a red zone threat with a 19 yard touchdown, which was pretty athletic, falling backwards catching that. Uh, so I think yeah, all in all, it was a pretty positive evening for the offensive side of the ball. I have like. 40 notes for the for this section i was i was really really um impressed with a lot of different things both personnel and style uh with how we performed on offense um i'll speak to the most pertinent here and that that is uh a very significant thing that happened on the broadcast of this game with 824 left in the second quarter brock heward made a comparison of miles gaskin to Warwick Dunn, which mm-hmm. brought chills to my arm for a very specific reason, is because I, if if anyone has, has cornered me and talked to me about Miles Gaskin, have started comparing Miles Gaskin to Warwick Dunn. I have text proof that I did this on October 8th, 2015. I sent Jack <laughs> Seidel a text saying that Miles Gaskin reminds me of Warwick Dunn. Um, wow. th- thank you, Brock Heward, for catching on. Uh, it only took you three years. Just kidding, Brock, you're great. Um, so that was, that was a really, really important moment for me. I freaked out both live when I watched it and then again, uh, when I watched it after that. Uh, so that That's was great. That was, that was incredible. Um, so Savon Ahmed looked great, but I think more importantly, the, the way that he was used was great. Uh, Bush Hamden mixed a good amount of, uh, the offensive coordinator mixed a good amount of creativity and, and I thought pace got involved, which I know you and I were both happy, happy with. Yep. Um, the Ahmed Gaskin pairing worked. There was a little bit of Ahmed and Kamari Pleasant on the field. Uh, Ahmed got involved in, in both straight up kind of off tackle plays, also in a reverse play, a bubble screen. They had him going off of jet sweeps. Um, there was play action involved using Kate, uh, Kate Otten and Drew Sample on uh, its kind of extra tackles on one side to set up the run game. And then you, you do play action off of that. It was it was a very good looking uh, game from Bush Hampton. I, I thought there were a couple times when the drive stalled, um, and and ASU did a nice job of playing keep away. I thought, but overall, I was I was this was Bush Hampton's best game. In addition to I thought Jake Browning's best game. You know, he just kind of he took a sack. Right, that was that was something that people wanted him to do, um, but stood up in the pocket. You know, worked with his offensive line, threw to eight different receivers. First game without a without a turnover. Um, it was there was a lot of good things to take away, albeit against a young ASU defense. But I will uh, I will take it. I I don't want to talk about the running backs too much, but I I love a, a nice rotation of running back play. 
Uh, and the first two touchdown drives, I mean, the first drive wasn't really even a drive. Uh, the first two true drives by the Huskies was like one of the more beautiful things I've seen this season. Yeah. Uh, they ran it with Gaskin the first three carries and then went to Ahmed for the next two carries and then went to Pleasant um, and then went back to Ahmed uh, in that second drive. So, yeah, it was it was pretty great to see that involvement so early in the game because a lot of times it's it's later in the game when it might not matter as much where they're getting those guys in but uh they were leaning on them early and at periods of the game where it was all to play for yeah and it, there was there was still some some scraps left on the table quentin pounds uh dropped it was, it was a tough catch yeah. he was diving straight out but basically what dropped. a throw Oh, yes. Yes, it was. Uh, dropped a, a diving uh, catch that would have been a touchdown over two defenders. Um, that's not unlike Quinton, right? He's extremely efficient and, and calls him his, his one, toke, one target for yeah. <laughs> like 40 yards and a touchdown every game. Uh, Aaron yeah. Fuller got that touchdown on a, uh, a just a classic RPO play. It was straight out of, straight out of the Super Bowl this year. Uh, saved that one for a rainy day on, in the red zone because that will most definitely work later. Uh, and then, uh, speaking about Aaron Fuller, Dante Pettis uh, had a tweet about uh, Aaron Fuller being his son, and I don't, yeah. don't want to make this messy, uh, but I am I am willing to take Dante Pettis to court uh, for custody of, of my my child, Aaron Fuller. Um, <laughs> it's 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 just what's right. It's pretty alarming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, a separate conversation. But um, uh, yeah, it was it was a a magnificent performance. Eh, magnificent's a lot. It was a a. Uh, a definitely workmanlike performance. Yes, workmen, and then just relative to what we've seen with a lot of offensive frustration, um, this was a big step in the right direction for the Husky offense. Agreed. All right, let's move to fourth down. Um, what we're going to talk about, you know, it's this is kind of the, the fun part about college football is that you're always playing these multiple games. Like your season is what it is now, uh, but you're projecting, right? You're seeing young athletes perform and imagining uh, how they will continue to get better and how those pieces will work. You know, you have seniors leaving and who, who might go pro. Um, so it inevitably happens. Talking about the young guns on this team, first of all, I mean, look no further than redshirt freshman uh, kicker Peyton Henry, who is six of seven on the year, um, hasn't been asked to hit a, a field goal longer than I would say as long as like 35 or 36. Um, and his only miss was, I think, longer like in the 40s or so yeah could yeah. be wrong on that i think so that was in the in the auburn game yeah um so six to seven on the year considering uh where we were at this point last year at the kicking game uh is is a huge step up um so that's great a lot of young players uh kate otten got involved a lot he's clearly a chris peterson favorite um there's that block play you were talking about before he's yep. he's the 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 um the hunter bryant injury earlier in the in the offseason a little bit of a blessing in disguise imagining or projecting that hunter bryant makes a full recovery uh because i I don't think kate otten would have been playing as much and Mm -hmm. otten is kind of an extra tackle that uh that like a much better blocker i think than bryant would be um so Mm -hmm. he's kind of a little bit of both best of both worlds good blocker good good play action he yep. fits the Disley mode mold, I should say, very, um, very almost much exactly. So. Yep. Yeah, yep, exactly. So I think he opened up um, a new dimension in this offense. Uh, not to say that, that Hunter Bryant wouldn't have done that, but um, but yeah, he's he's definitely a blessing in disguise 
for sure and Kate seeing what Kate Otten can do on the touchdown with Otten it was a rollout situation and you could see Otten just kind of what he's programmed to do is just run straight to the corner um, and he got fed as a result got his touchdown um, mm-hmm. so that was great I, I really like the play of Ariel Nada uh, number 52 outside linebacker he's he's hasn't come home on a sack yet but it will happen uh, for for Ariel um, so just a lot of, of young kids performing but also it's great that that's kind of it. Like those are the three redshirt freshmen that are playing. There's no true freshmen by my count that are playing. Um, Jackson Kirkland being a fourth that's, that's redshirt true. freshman. Yep. Who's, who's definitely holding his on on the right side of the line. I Also Ty Jones, true sophomore. Yes. Should give him. So, so Ryan five. Bowman, true sophomore. That that's, that's all true. Uh, but it's, but I mean, definitely not having but to rely yeah. too much on the underclassmen, um, which mm-hmm. is, which is a good problem to have. A lot of good underclassmen that are redshirting as well. Yes, very talented. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a good place that um, that you kind of have these parallel parallel worlds where you have the the, the great upperclassmen team and then a, a team waiting in the wings or in the uh, mm-hmm. the ranks that is is ready to go. This uh, is a luxury that we haven't been able to uh, experience in a while. This is when you know you're you've kind of made it and you can set yourself up for long-term success when you can redshirt talent like we've been able to do and know that you can have them for an extra year and they can learn the system and get Mm -hmm. up and running not in a game situation for sure for sure uh the rest of the team kind of projecting what it's going to look like uh, into next year i mean the quarterback situation is well documented take a good look at jake browning this will be his last season um, you know the the, the Jake off next year with uh, with <laughs> Hainer with Hainer Sermon uh, Eason and then uh, Colson Yankoff involved in uh, mm-hmm. in all of that will be interesting. The offensive line, uh, Caleb McGarry will be gone. Trey Adams to be decided. Uh, Boomer Sosby, uh, we will miss you. Um, everyone else is back. You know the the offensive weapons. Uh, all of your receivers are are back. Hunter Bryant will be back. Uh, Drew Sample's gone. You lose Miles Gaskin, uh, but that that Kamari Pleasant Savon Ahmed combo has a nice little ring to it next year. I I, I liked what Peterson had to say. If he's kind of a, mm-hmm. a bigger back, more between the tackles, does the dirty work, um, kind of like a bigger Levon Coleman, like taller Levon Coleman reminds me of. Yeah, he is pretty tall, and you can't forget Sean McGrews in there too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and he's he hasn't seen a lot of time left or yet, but. Uh, he definitely has the capabilities to step up into that position and make a difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, that that should be interesting to see McGrew's progression of once he finally gets into the top top three of of uh, ball carriers, what his role looks like. Mm-hmm. The defense, though, for next year, um, you know, enjoy enjoy this while you have it because I, by my count, um, one, two, three, like up to six or seven starters will be gone from next year's team. Mm-hmm. Ben Burkirvan, Taylor Rapp will unlikely or undoubtedly be a pro next year. JoJo McIntosh, Jordan Miller, Jalen Johnson, Greg Gaines, and Te- Tevis Bartlett uh, will all be gone, leaving some giant holes to be filled uh, by the mm-hmm. defense next year. And God forbid Byron Murphy would leave because he is he is a redshirt sophomore, so he could technically leave after this season as I well. I didn't even consider that. That's horrifying. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm sure that he would uh, he would receive quite the grade uh, coming out. So uh, yes. yeah, the defense is something that that uh, could certainly be in a huge state of flux um, heading into next year. So keep keep an eye on that, um, and really relish what this defense has because 
Uh, most of those names that I mentioned uh, will be playing on NFL rosters next year. But oh. remember, the down is young guns. There's a lot of talent waiting in the wings. Absolutely. So, well, ending it on a positive. Well done. Way to flip <laughs> that snow globe right upside down. Yeah. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, as I was going all doom and gloom. I'll go doom and gloom one more time <laughs> in the podcast. I'll tell you that. Uh, all right. One big question for this uh, for this team. Actually, I'm going to go doom and gloom right now. Um, can you... So, it's inevitable that you feel this way once once your team is at the status of of in the hunt for for a, a college mm-hmm. football playoff spot um it is inevitably a little daunting to look across the college football landscape and see alabama mall people right alabama mm-hmm. is, and now has a quarterback that is that is just off the chain uh clemson mm-hmm all the talent that they have uh, now with, with Trevor Lawrence as their full-time quarterback uh, has now evoked this new level of offense. Uh, Georgia went into Missouri last week for their first real tough game uh, and held care of business. Does does not look like they will have a- any struggles this year. Um, and then Ohio State is just a, an offensive juggernaut and now you know survived the Urban, Mo- Urban Meyer uh, tenure, or lack thereof, I should say, for the first three games. It's a little... Um, a little tough to look across and say how are we yep. gonna, how are we going to crack that top four when those four teams are there and then there's Oklahoma there's Notre Dame there's Stanford there um, so to help me out can you concoct mm-hmm. a scenario for us where UW makes it into the playoffs uh, and cracks the uh, the party that seems to be fully taken all the seats seem to be fully taken by those four teams I just mentioned. I think I can get you in the ballpark. I don't know if this scenario net really guarantees it, but it gets you on the doorstep. Um, I think, first and foremost, Sasuke's have to win every single game the rest of the season. So yes. that's just a shoo-in. That has to happen. Um, I'm also making the assumption that Alabama wins out and is in the playoff here. So I'm just going to push them to the to the side right now. They're in at one. Um, if And with that in mind, that eliminates Auburn, probably LSU as well, given the fact that both those teams are in the same division. Um, and then maybe Georgia. Uh, I think George, yeah, Georgia's on the other side um, of the SEC, but would in this scenario would have to play Alabama in the SEC title game, and I just don't see Alabama losing. So we'll leave, at, we'll leave Alabama as in Georgia as maybe, okay? Mm-hmm. So now we're moving on. We're going to move on to the Pac-12 now. Uh, Really, really need Stanford to beat Notre Dame this weekend. And the reason for that is um, Notre Dame has a pretty easy schedule from here on out. They are undefeated so far. And their hardest test after Stanford is probably at Virginia Tech in two weeks. The Virginia Tech team that lost to Old Dominion, uh, shockingly lost to Old Dominion. Which we will cover uh, at length later. Yep, and then uh, dropped out of the top 25. So Notre Dame's schedule right now, they don't have a single-ranked team on their schedule, and they should be favored in every contest from here on out. So um, really need Sanford to win. Let's just assume they do. I, I feel I have a good feeling about Stanford this weekend. I don't know why. But let's just assume they win, okay? So Notre Dame's out with one loss, and our loss, I think, would hold a little bit better, better than their loss to Stanford because... Remember, the Huskies are winning out, so we would be beating Stanford. So that would eliminate Stanford if we beat them. So right now we have Alabama, maybe Georgia, and maybe UW. So then we can go to the Big Ten. And the Big Ten, 
the biggest game of the season is this weekend with Ohio State facing Penn State. Um, so one of those teams will exit with one loss. My money's on Ohio State coming out on top, um, just given the fact Dwayne Haskins is playing insane right now. So uh, I put one loss on Penn State, uh, kind of in the same realm as UW in that case. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we have the ACC, which I think Clemson will win. I think they're just going to run away with that one. Um, there's not many contenders in that division or in that conference. And then you have the Big 12, which looks like Oklahoma is going to win that one. they got to face a number 12-ranked West Virginia team at the end of the season. And then there's a good chance they'll have to face West Virginia the very next week or two weeks later in the conference title game. Uh, so let's just say West Virginia is eliminated there probably. So that leaves us with Alabama. Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma as I think the front runners here, and then maybe Georgia and UW as the two on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Um, given the fact Georgia's got to go through the gauntlet of the SEC schedule along with playing Alabama in their conference title game, most likely. So I think the takeaway of all this nonsense that I just rambled about is UW has to win out. And they'll probably need an upset on one of the teams of like Ohio State or Oklahoma or Clemson to really start getting serious about it, about being in the playoff. But as we've seen the last two seasons, those upsets are they happen. You know, I, I remember Clemson lost, I think, to Syracuse. Yep. I can't remember. It was last year or the year before. There's last some year. weird. Yeah. Didn't Iowa beat? Someone Iowa beat well. uh, Penn State, I think, in a in a big game a couple years ago, and then Oklahoma lost to Ohio- Iowa State. I think it was either two or three years yeah. ago. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's college football, my friends. Uh, mm. Crazy things can happen. I think uh, the Georgia one we'll talk about in a bit, and okay. so uh, the the scenario I had in mind was looking at those four teams and, and thinking, man, like. Georgia's schedule is soft. They can probably survive a loss because they're Georgia. And, you know, in, as long as they don't lose two, they're they're probably still on top because of where they are right now. Um, Ohio State, same thing. Uh, Bama, same thing. And, and, uh, and so that just left Clemson. Okay, so looking at Clemson's uh, non-conference schedule, which we talked about last week, which is brutal and, and in, the, in the worst way. It's, it's, it's offensive, uh, the teams that they didn't, mm-hmm. didn't have to play. Um, I was thinking, what if it just becomes a despite UW one loss team, uh, and Clemson is uh, is is undefeated? What if UW's strength of schedule just beats them out? So I was looking at that, um, and the uh, the Clemson average FBI FPI right the Football Power Index from ESPN yep. uh, for the teams that they have played so far and the teams that they would need to play for that the rest of the season. Uh, it's 41.75, yeah, so about the 40th best team. Okay. And I was looking at UW, uh, you know, what what can you, you know, can, what what would that number be and say if it was 30, right? Would that just ultimately take home the cake? You beat Stanford, uh, you know, that Auburn team ends up okay, pretty good. Would that work out? Uh, the average for UW was 41.33. And you know who we can bl- blame for the, uh, the closeness here uh, is the Oregon State Beavers because – there is nobody on uh, Clemson's schedule who is as bad uh, oh, in boy. terms of FBI as the as the Oregon State Beavers. So, so we're big Beaver fans <laughs> right now. We need the Beavers to not be the worst team in the conference, uh, in, in one of the worst teams in college football. 
uh, if we want that sort of scenario to happen where it's just a head-to-head, strength of schedule. Um, so we, we're big Auburn fans. We're, every team that's on the schedule uh, for UW needs to, uh, needs to perform well. Mm-hmm. So, so I was a little, a little dismayed at that, and obviously there's, there's some hurdles to climb. Uh, but yes. Ryan Rossillo. A lot of season. Yeah, Ryan Rossillo, uh, host of uh, two podcasts now, and the guy's great. Um, he's like, he said this morning on the podcast I was listening to, is like, is this your first time watching college football? Because this stuff will happen, right? Like someone's going to lose to somebody that isn't supposed to happen and it's going to yep. throw up in the, the door. Uh, and then we're going to have a, an entire wrench in the situation. So, uh, have faith, right? Because it's a long season. Um, there's plenty that can still happen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just kind of a week to week experience of, of writing this thing out. So, um, both uh, dismaying and also comforting those words from from Ryan Rosillo. Yeah, that, just to touch on Clemson really quickly, that's a really interesting point because Clemson, there's a decent chance they won't face this, face a single ranked opponent this season. Yep, which is pretty insane. Now, I mean, they may face a ranked opponent in their conference title game. Miami would probably uh, be the likely. Team yeah, Miami. That. I mean, you could maybe say Virginia Tech, but it's a really bad week to say Virginia Tech given yeah. what happened. Um, but the only ranked opponent they have on their schedule right now is Duke at 22, who's 4-0 and hasn't really beaten any good opponents so far. So I don't really see them being there uh, by the time they reach them later in the season. So, yeah, man, that would be really tough if if we had one loss to a really good Auburn team and they had no losses to – and they played no one. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that would that would rub me the wrong way. But like like we said, a lot to play. A lot of games to play so far, so it's way too early to yeah. really get into that. We are large Pac-12 fans and uh, uh, not very large ACC fans. So yeah. th- any any sort of bad upset losses in the ACC, um, especially if Clemson's involved, but uh, but would would favor the Huskies for the, for that argument and that possibility going forward. Uh, and go Beavs! It needs to be said one yep. more time. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should right. let we should let Jonathan Smith know that he has a has a say in the college football playoff race. Yes, just not for his team. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he he'd like that. Um, all right, on to BYU. That is the team the Huskies play this week. That is the number one priority is beating that team. Um, BYU is a funky little upstart team that walked into to Camp Randall Stadium uh, and beat the Wisconsin Badgers, but also. Uh, Lost to Cal in in opening week. Cal's off to a great start, but um, but uh, kind of a, a weird team that can do both of those things simultaneously. Uh, Squally Canada is. Let me repeat that name. Squally. Squally Canada. Canada is BYU's <laughs> best player, best name, uh, a real thumper at tailback at 210 pounds, 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, their quarterback Tanner Mangum is unsurprisingly 25 years old. Um, the prime and, joy of Eagle, Idaho. Yeah, right. Uh, a guy that, that Chris Peterson wanted to come to Boise State, ultimately chose BYU. Um, so Squally Canada, Tanner, Tanner Mangum, make the show go on offense. Um, they run an interesting amount of fly sweeps, which uh, there was a big Sports Illustrated piece about uh, BYU's fly sweep. Um uh, pro, you know, prodigiousness, I guess, of how often they, they run those. Uh, they run six and a half fly sweeps per game, about five point or 5.4 yards per attempt every time they do those. Most of the time, those are going to Aliva Hifo, number 15, uh, a receiver who like they like to get involved. So lots of fly sweeps, expect that. Uh, BYU ran 
pre-snap motion 220 times through four games, which is an awful lot. Uh, so expect a lot of movement uh, on their side of the ball before before they take the snap. Did you see the interesting connection uh, here with the fly sweep through like the, the lineage of coaches? Dan, Dan Hawkins, uh, well, Dirk Cutter to Dan Hawkins um, at Boise State. So. Is that what yeah. You're yeah. Yeah. So Cutter was the head coach. Dirk Cutter was a head coach in the late 90s at Boise State while Dan Hawkins was the assistant head coach. Mm-hmm. And Matt Grimes, who's the new OC at BYU, was the O-line coach. But then Cutter went to ASU in 2000. Yep. Boise promoted Dan Hawkins to be the head coach. Hawkins hired a guy named Chris Peterson hey. as his offensive coordinator f- from, unfortunately, Oregon. Uh, and Jeff Grimes followed Cutter to ASU. So there's this, I think, pretty common understanding between all these coaches of, of this fly sweep game and then more so just pre-snap uh, shifts. Mm-hmm. You'll see that pre-snap shifts run in the UW offense quite a bit as well. Maybe not to the extent as BYU, but I don't think this kind of scheme is going to be any type of surprise for uh, Peterson. Yeah, well done on that, tracing back the, the lineage of, of the fly sweep. I was really uh, surprised in that article that the Mike Riley Oregon State teams didn't get brought up in that in that proliferation oh, yeah. of, of the fly sweep because the, the Jaquiz and James Rogers era teams uh, ran that a ton, uh, which influenced mm-hmm. uh, Steve Sarkeesian to do it. I remember Jesse Callier was involved in a lot of fly sweep mm-hmm. plays uh, back in the day. Um, information that no one needs, uh, but it is it is interesting <laughs> Uh, to see that, that that didn't get mentioned because I think those James Rogers fly sweeps from Oregon State were probably uh, among the most devastating version of the fly sweep play. Um, so interesting there. Anyways, uh, that's what to expect out of BYU. Um, now for the fun part. BYU's roster is full of... So Squally Canada, right? I'll say it one more time. Mm. Squally Canada is their The best fact that he didn't make our... our- uh, best names of college football in our preseason podcast is incredible to me, by it, the way. It is nuts. But anyways, uh, carry on. Squally Canada is one of the many incredible names uh, on the BYU roster. And <laughs> the, so BYU and the Mormon faith are inextricably linked. I'm not going to make this connection between the Mormon faith and weird names. Um, however, there are a lot of weird named white guys on the BYU team. So, um, because they are so weird, I am going to throw out these names. Some of them are real, are actual BYU players. Some of them are not. Okay. It is up to okay. you to tell me if they are real BYU players or if they are not. Uh, I'm ready. Okay. First name, Bratch Davis. Wow. I've never <laughs> even heard the name Bratch before. <laughs> it's spelled uh... B-R-A-C-H. So it might be Brock, I, but spelled funny. Yeah, that I think that's that's I think that's Brock. All right. I I've I'm I've yeah yeah I I'm gonna believe that one just because I don't think you could <laughs> like I don't know how you could come up with that. It's it, it is real and uh, it's gotta be real. I think you talked me into it. It is probably Brock spelled in a the worst well, you way. Well, you're figured it out. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a weird one. Um. Okay. Number two, Dallin Holker. Dallin. Is that D-A-L-Y-N? Uh, L-L-I. Wait, Dally? Dallin. Oh, oh Dallin. Uh, 
No idea. No? I'm just going to guess no. Uh, Dallin Holker is a real BYU Cougar. This reminds me of the wow. uh, the stepbrother scene where it's like, Pan? Pa- Pam? It's a new Pan? <laughs> Am. <laughs> yeah. Hammond is yeah. the N silent? <laughs> All right. Number three, uh, Pops Mensabonsu. Wow. I'm going to go no. You're right. Pops Mensabonsu was a forward for George Washington in the mid-2000s. Um, just thought I'd sneak wow. that one in there. Um <laughs> All right, this next one. No Colonials. Baylor Romney. Yeah, that has to be. That has to be, yes. I, I, I've actually seen that because, well, I've seen a Romney on their team. There's a, there's a couple sure Romneys. Um, okay. I don't know if they're from the Mitt lineage, but uh, but yeah. Baylor Romney is absolutely a real BYU Cougar. Um, nice. Next one, Traven Thorson. Traven uh, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to go with no here. Yeah. You're actually doing pretty well. Uh, I made that one up. Nice. Traven Thorson is not a real BYU Cougar. <laughs> Traven. <laughs> Dax Milne. Yeah, I think so. Probably short for Daxton. Uh, uh, it is Dax on the, on the program and it is a real person. You are, <laughs> this nice. is wild. Uh, you're, there's you're a, there's going to be a gunner here, I think. <sighs> No gunner. Uh, the next oh, one. Oh, but there is a gunner on their team. This one is Matich Collie, and yes, that's Austin Collie's younger brother. Oh wow! Okay, Matich um, Collie. Sure, let's go with yes on that. Actually, it's it's a pretty normal name. His name's Dylan. Uh, but yeah, Austin's Austin Collie of the Indianapolis Colts fame. Uh, his has a younger brother named Dylan, uh, and he plays a lot. So expect uh, expect to see some more Collie. Uh, and the last one. Chandon Herring. Chandon. It's like they couldn't decide between Brandon and Chandler. Yeah. They just Great were like, yeah, let's just them. split it in half. Chandon. Uh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. I think you I think you nailed all of these. Uh, wow. Yeah. I honestly didn't look at the roster before this either. I don't doubt you because that's, that's great. only something that I would do. Chandon. Chandon Herring. Real BYU Cougar. What a name! Uh, yeah. So every uh, every play that BYU makes, just uh, just listen, listen for who that name was because it was probably yeah. wild. Um, okay, let's move on to the the the, the latter half of this podcast. Uh, let's talk about a little back to pack. There were two absolutely just uh, bonkers games in the Pac-12 this week. First one was on Friday uh, between Wazoo and USC. Uh, my question to you with that game. Wazoo ends up losing on a missed field or on a blocked field goal. Uh, does this qualify as a cooging it scenario for the Cougars? Um, up thirty to seventeen of, in the third quarter. Yeah, yeah. Well, like when I think of cooging it, I think of them inflicting it on themselves, mm-hmm. and they, I mean, it was a block blocked by USC, but they kind of did. I mean, they ran. They, they ran the ball when it mattered most. And you, WSU runs the ball less than any team in the Pac-12 by a large margin. They only run the ball 27% of their offensive snaps. Um, so they, they ran on in, on third and six. They ran for no gain when they needed a first down in order to score a touchdown to go ahead. So they, they attempted the field goal with a minute 41 left and had it blocked. That sounds so, like, an, yeah, like a... I, I think that, that's a kook. That I sounds like, a, like an over... Overcorrection from Mike Leach of like everything in my brain tells me I want to throw right now. I know I I know I can't do that. Um, and I then, mix it up. Yeah, and then you run on third and six. 
Um, yeah. I think it's ultimately yeah. a good thing for UW that, that USC continues to win to, to set up that um, that Pac-12 championship that might – beating USC in that game might mean more uh, in name than in number, uh, but I still think that's an important component to this season. Who knows if we'll even get him. I could see him in Utah again, to be honest. That's true. That's true. Uh, Britton, Col- Britton Covey uh, is looking for revenge. Um, all he's right. still playing. <laughs> if, uh, if the USC – uh, Wazoo game was on crack. Uh, the Stanford Oregon game was on just some some <laughs> some kitchen sink methamphetamines. It was it was okay. So in this game, uh, Stanford ends up winning in overtime. Oregon is up twenty four to seven in the third quarter. Uh, Jalen Red, a receiver for Oregon, runs a reverse. Uh, he he it looks like he scores a touchdown, but he actually steps on the pylon. So they mark him out on like the one inch line. With four minutes and 32 left in the third quarter, Oregon's up 17, about to go up 24. ESPN has them as a 99% win probability oh, after that play. 99%. I love everything about this. Continue. There's, there's plenty of problems with with win probability and how it's calculated, and, and obviously that's you know 99%. Um, who knows if that's actually what it is, but it feels pretty accurate, right? Like if, if Oregon goes up 24 points at home late in the third quarter, I got to imagine that game is over. But three plays later, uh, there's a there's a scoop and score for an 80, well, a, a fumbled snap for a scoop and score. 80-yard fumble return for Stanford makes it a 10-point game, um, which was uh, just a, an incredible swing from there to keep them in the game. But Oregon's not done yet. There's a 98.7% chance of, of winning when C.J. Verdell runs for seven yards on first and 10 with a minute 30 to go for Oregon with the ball. He fumbles in the next play. Jet toner comes down and strikes that, yes. that game tying field goal to send it in overtime. There we go. Jet. Uh, that was, that was, I didn't, I didn't watch that game. I was out and about, um, I didn't watch it live, but that was absolutely wild. Yeah. I, I was in the stadium for the second half. Like I was at the Husky game, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I missed that one too, but I was tracking on my phone and I just couldn't believe it because we left, uh, I think it was at halftime when we left for the UW game from the parking lot and it was like, it was not looking good from a Stanford standpoint. So uh, yeah, really happy to see Stanford win um, for obvious reasons, playing the Ducks, but uh, just for strength of schedule purposes for UW, I think Stanford continue when they if they keep winning, it just pans out better for the Huskies. So, uh, yeah, this was this was big on both ca- accounts. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, big takeaways from that game. I think Oregon would love to have that back. Three three fumbles, uh, mm-hmm. the, the interception, or two fumbles, I think, but the interception in overtime really killed them. KJ Costello and, and Justin Herbert are both very good at quarterback for, for both those teams. So, uh, tough on- offenses for you to have to deal with uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, okay. the, uh, be- before we move to game week five, I think sure. we just need to give it a shout out to UCLA um, this past week because they didn't lose for the first time this season. Yeah, this is so a big that was step good. for Chip. They uh, were on a bye, yeah. but they didn't lose. So something to build upon. Anyways. Yeah, that's program changing stuff for, for mm-hmm. UCLA. Um, all right, so this week there's a couple of, of massive tilts. Um, Stanford and Notre Dame would normally, under normal circumstances, be uh, be good enough for the game of the week, and would be the UW's fourth such appearance in that, or the Pac-12's fourth such appearance with that distinction uh, in five. five weeks. Um, yeah. 
but however, the uh, the Ohio State Penn State game is probably a little bit more important. Uh, Stanford at Notre Dame, big old game for the conference and for UW. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us why. Well, it has no conference title implications on it, but we obviously want Stanford from a strength to schedule standpoint, like I was just mentioning. And back when we were talking about the college football playoff scenario, uh, we mentioned that Notre Dame has a pretty easy schedule after this game, and they are currently undefeated. So would be huge if Stanford was able to pull this off and potentially eliminate the Irish from the college football playoff conversation. Yeah, and you know that... that uh... Uh, the, the 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 public would love to see Notre Dame in the playoff. Uh, if they're undefeated, they're definitely getting Yuck. in. <laughs> I don't I don't know if there's any way around that. Uh, and if they're one loss, I still think they have a pretty good shot of getting in. So it really is up to Stanford and then USC at the end of the season uh, to make sure mm-hmm. that that happens to at least deliver one of those losses. Um, so the Stanford one this weekend would be would be a great step in that right direction. Also this week in the conference, we have Oregon at Cal. We'll see if Oregon's mm-hmm. in uh, in a little bit of hangover mood, um, as as we were on Sunday morning, uh, or if if they are ready to to, to take on a, a game Cal team, which uh, unsurprisingly, with Justin Wilcox as their head coach, is uh, is just playing mm-hmm. lights out defense. Yeah, sneaky good defense. They held. Uh, man, who was it? Was it BYU to only eighteen points earlier this season? Yep. They beat them twenty one eighteen. Yep. So uh, yeah, yeah, Cal's a real. Deal. That's a that's a game down in the Bay Area later this season that I am not looking forward to for from the Huskies standpoint. Trap game. Um, but the Ducks are yeah exactly. Ducks are three point favorite in this one, so um, should be a good one for the neutral watcher. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, a one that I, I I'm really split hairs on on who UW fans should be rooting for. I think it's about even uh, between Oregon and Cal. Um, so no worries on that one. Just watch a good yep. game. Uh, other tilts in the conference, UCLA at Boulder on Friday night. Uh, Utah at Wazoo should be a good <clears throat> litmus test uh, for who's mm-hmm. who's actually like you know the second, third-tier teams in the conference. Uh, Ohio, Oregon State at Arizona State. Uh, and go Beavs. Yeah, go Beavs. Uh, and then USC at Arizona this should be interesting. Um, all right, moving on to the to the big scene, right, the uh, the college football party, party scene. scene. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's go check it out. Let's walk down. You know what's what's the big big party street in in uh, Bellingham, Washington? Would you say Railroad Ave? Railroad Ave. Let's let's go let's go put a backpack on, fill it up with some some <laughs> some stuff, and uh, patrol down Railroad Ave. Um, Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, let's do it live from Railroad Ave College Game Day. Uh, <laughs> all right, to the party scene we go. Big winners from last week. Uh, Stanford has yep. to be up there, right? Surviving against Oregon in, in, a, in a very, very important game. Uh, my second winner here was Kentucky, who yes. absolutely thumped Mississippi State to move to four and zero after beating Florida this year. Proves it's not a fluke. Uh, Kentucky is an interesting team to keep an eye on because when UW is playing Stanford, Kentucky will be hosting the Georgia Bulldogs, which uh, could be. Mm-hmm. A huge opportunity for uh, for Georgia to take a loss um, against a, a Kentucky team that has proved to be more than spry this year. First time they've uh, the Wildcats. Kentucky has been in the top twenty five since two thousand and seven. By the way, was so Andre fun Winston times their quarterback? Do you remember those days? Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> the mobile quarterback, mobile, yeah. never never threw incomplete passes. He had like an eighty five percent completion percentage or something. 
Um, Great yeah. name name drop there. Thank, thank you, man. That value add. Kentucky is yes. back. Yeah. Kentucky's back. Kentucky football is back. <laughs> um, on to the big losers. Uh, there's a clear one here. Well, first of mm-hmm. all, uh, I feel really bad for Kelly Bryant, uh, quarterback at uh, Clemson, who was a, a senior quarterback um, who got Clemson all the way into the playoff last year. Um, and then this year comes in as the incumbent starter, loses his job after week four to to true freshman Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Kelly Bryant, uh, after being a senior, waiting behind Deshaun Watson, finally gets his job and then gets it taken away from him his senior year, uh, transfers. He's now uh, going to play for someone else next year. So, And he uh, actually didn't play that bad. No. I mean, it was just, it was just Trevor Lawrence's, I think, was the top-rated overall recruit this past offseason so just talent weird situation there with with that so um not in not in a uh, let's make fun of him way but i I truly feel bad for kelly bryant um Mm -hmm. nebraska right is is has not won in the scott frost era um just continues to get worse just got embarrassed by michigan last weekend but the first time they've been zero and three since 1945 by the way uh, yeah. See if that sellout streak continues. Uh, yeah. Big, big loser, though, for the weekend. Uh, there's a clear one here. Virginia Tech, who lost to Old Dominion. Uh, mm-hmm. Old Dominion had lost to, was had not won this season. They had lost to Liberty of the Flying Punter fame. Uh, By it, 42 points. Yes. Uh, Old, <laughs> Old Dominion had lost to Florida International, who lost to Indiana by 10 at home. Uh, and they also lost to Charlotte. Charlotte lost to UMass, who is essentially the bird that hangs on the U- the SEC's back. You know, like one of those birds that yep. attaches themselves <laughs> to a rhino, like the uh, Citadel. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, UMass <laughs> is that that college that's football great. team. Uh, that's the best. That's the best analogy for the SEC I've ever heard. I think. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Old Dominion had lost to all of those teams, uh, and then beats Virginia Tech, who also beat Florida State. So I don't know. If Florida State's uh, maybe also the big loser here. Uh, but just not not good in uh, in Blacksburg this week. I gotta imagine. I have I have one uh, other weird one here okay. because um, my buddy who went to Arkansas, I kind of track the Hogs a bit. They outgained Auburn by sixty five yards on offense this week, two hundred ninety mm. to two twenty five, but lost thirty four to three. Does That's... that can you can you figure that one out for me? I that... I don't think I've seen anything like that before. That smells of turnovers. Um, yep, there were a few turnovers. If I had to <laughs> and guess. field goal as well, but yep. wow. Yeah, that's... Uh, but 31 points, and you outgained your opponent on offense. Just crazy to me. Pig suey. Um, yeah, nasty, nasty stuff there. Um, all right, so big tilts of the weekend on the national scene. Uh, we, we talked at length about the Stanford at Notre Dame game, Ohio State at Penn State. Um, and then, well, let's talk about Ohio State at Penn State. First of all... Uh, the the cheapest ticket in 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 uh, Beaver Stadium, yeah, in Happy Valley, yeah, um, for for that is uh, one hundred and ninety two dollars is the cheapest ticket for that game. Whoa! Penn State has a one hundred and seven thousand seat capacity for that stadium. Uh, <laughs> that's incredible, and and um, you know could fund a few a few college programs across the nation with just that one sellout, which will be wow. a lot of people wearing all white. Um, yep. For, Five for o'clock, that. I think, or eight o'clock for your East Coasters. Uh, I believe it's a seven thirty. Four thirty. Four thirty on your yeah. end. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. So, but simultaneous to the Stanford Notre Dame game, so should be some good watching, and hopefully the Huskies have uh, the BYU game in command as as both those are going on. Uh, that's a tough one. That's Penn State's chance to really put their foot in the door in the national conversation. It's OSU's chance, the Ohio State's chance to really go into pole position for a playoff spot. I think we're in agreement here uh, that Ohio State winning is is the better scenario for for uh, for the Huskies. Yeah, I just think they're the better team. I think they're going to be there at the end of the season um, and represent the Big Big Ten. So just kind of instead of muddy, muddling things a bit, just I would like to see the Buckeyes win this and kind of push Penn State to, aside. Yeah. Plus, I, I'm not a huge McSorley fan. So I heard a crazy stat about McSorley today that like in that UW game, he was seven of nine on third downs. There were more than third and seven. So long third down. Well, I know we were really really bad on third down defense. So yeah, that was that that checks out. He's uh, It's just the whole baseball bat like yes, <laughs> uh, celebration I just cannot stand. Yeah, that was tough. Um yeah. so so yeah, sh- shouts out my man Eric Jensen. I think you you and Jensen have, have shared a beer or two together in in your past. Um mm-hmm. but uh Eric said it best in a in a group text of we basically Husky fans should want teams to either go undefeated or have two losses. And if Penn State wins, yep. this is a good chance that both those teams end up with one loss. Um, and then, you know, one loss teams are on the same same playing field as, as UW. So uh, go Bucks for that one. Last one that's interesting is West Virginia at Texas Tech. First okay. of all, from a stylistic perspective, I mean, the over-under here should be in the 90s at least. Yep. Um, but then also, West Virginia is has not lost, and the schedule is, is very light other than that Oklahoma game or two at the end of the season. Um, so Texas Tech winning this one would be a good step in kind of uh, putting that West Virginia uh, crash-the-party dream to bed. Agreed. Yeah, and if if they lose here and then are able to nick one of maybe the two games they play against Oklahoma, that would be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's a that's a really good part of that uh, that long drawn out scenario that we can we can envision to get us into the playoff. <laughs> um, all right, our favorite part. Well, this is just a, all all sorts of fun for these next three segments. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we were to banish Mark Jones to a game. Um, what would it be? My my answer was uh, Nevada's on the road this week, so I had to had to look okay. outside of the box because otherwise it would always be the, whatever <laughs> game Reno. is in Reno. Yeah, <laughs> flying garbage. Yes. So what do you got? Oh, uh, I have Bowling Green at Georgia Tech. Uh, <laughs> both these teams are one and three, um, but Georgia Tech is still a twenty eight and a half point favorite. It's a oh noon kickoff locally, and uh, it's on ACC Network, which is an ESPN-owned broadcast. So he can do it. There we go. So uh, yeah, yeah, just just uh, just uh, going down there, see the rambling wreck, and hopefully a wreck of a game itself. And uh, seventy-five yeah. rushing attempts in a game. Yep, uh, all triple option. Yeah, I almost I almost picked that game because on the for the same reason I knew about the hundred ninety-two dollars thing for the Penn State game. Uh, I was looking for the cheapest ticket in town, and it's uh, that game. <laughs> tickets to that Georgia Tech game were three dollars. So unbelievable. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's a good one. Mine was Indiana at Rutgers uh, for two reasons. One, I've been to Rutgers. Nice. Uh, not the greatest fan experience, I will tell you that. Um, and then <laughs> but also, they had a hot tub. They did have hot tubs. I don't know if that was an always thing or a sometimes thing. Um, it's New Jersey. Same thing with the uh, the speedboats in all the corners of the stadium. 
Um, I don't know if that was an always thing or sometimes thing. <laughs> Anyways, Rutgers has been outscored 149 to 30 in the last three games. They are Yikes. terrible. Uh, Piscataway, New Jersey is not the best place for a college football game. Uh, and Indiana isn't a lot to write home to. So, uh, yeah, go 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 call that one, Mark Jones. Um, it's the birthplace of college football, though. That's true. Piscataway, New Jersey. They will tell you that at length. Who uh, would have known? Yeah, they, they don't even know. <laughs> um, all right, to our last two segments, Great yep. Cat of the Week and OKG of the Week. Um, my first instinct for the Great Cat of the Week was the actual BYU cat, Cosmo the Cougar. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> who... who <laughs> Ah, God, I got to show this clip to the public somehow. But was Cosmo the Cougar did some flying acrobatic stunt off of a, off of a, I'm dying laughing thinking about it, off of a trampoline. His head fell off in the middle of the, of the, of the stunt. Um, and the, sh- the sheer panic on both the actor's head as he covered his head. And then like three other people came out of nowhere in a, in just absolute panic uh, Handlers, to try, to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, bouncers to try and put uh, put Cosmo's head back on. It was quite the scene. So Cosmo the Cougar uh, is my first great cat of the week. Perfect. That's a great way to start it. I mean, I will I will start it with the usual with Mark Jones. But uh, moving on to my second great cat of the week, um, that would be the single AP poll voter that didn't put Alabama at one. They actually put them at three. Ah. So uh, that was very worthy of great cat. Um, WSU's late game offensive play calling we talked about. That's another good nominee. The uh, hospitality in Eugene for the Stanford team, throwing bottles at them as they exited the field post-game. Classic from the Eugene faithful. So uh, that's also an entry this week for great cat. And then um, I think the the winner of great cat week is – uh, no, no stranger to this award, but as uh, Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, who today came out and said that the um, Porter Gustin targeting on Gardner Minshew, the quarterback for WSU, which was not um, called, in that USC not WC in game, yeah. wasn't called in the game as blatant as you can possibly be. And uh, Larry Scott came out and said it was reviewed, and he said, "quote It was also looked after." it was determined to not be targeting after they looked at it a few times. So uh, it's just pretty frustrating that he can just, he just thinks we're that stupid because there's no way that that is not targeting. Yeah. It's, right. it's pretty textbook. And Porter Guskin had to basically launch upwards while standing uh, to make contact with, with, uh, with missed you there. I mean, it was the, it, it was the guy sat out the first half because he got ejected for targeting in the second half of the previous game. So yep. it's like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, and if you want to be above reproach and if you want to, you know, everyone in the conference is going to gonna assume that you suck up to USC, USC in every possible capacity until you prove them otherwise. And in this situation, uh, you just continue to let that let that fester when you could just be on the right side of history and, and allow justice to to take place here. It was it was very strange and unfortunate, but at this point, uh, not surprising from a guy that has really never shown a genuine interest in what actually happens on the football field as long as the checks keep coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, unfortunate, but uh, but the state of affairs for a Pac-12 commissioner there. Larry Scott is your official great cat of the week. Sorry, Cosmo. 
Uh, moving on to the OKG of the week, um, how about Connor Garrity, right? Yeah, yeah. He was a great seatmate for me at the Husky uh, game. First one that he uh, came to with me. So Well done. doing as, as Supplied the beverages. Uh, an obvious one for this one would be the absolute sauce that Nick Harris showed uh, on the yes. clip that went viral when Nick Harris got pushed by the, the Arizona State nose tackle. Um, he just did a, a little, it seemed like it was choreographed, the move he did afterwards. Um, it was it was extremely well done by, by Nick Harris. Yeah, I, I I listed a few that we've already touched on. Obviously, Ben Burkerva in Old Dominion, Kentucky. But my main one this week is going to be a bit of a shock to you, given what we just said about Larry Scott. But my OKG of the week is Pac-12 TV exposure. Yeah. Uh, Stanford at Oregon was the most watched ABC ESPN Pac-12 game since 2014. There's 4.2 million viewers. And ASU at UW delivered an audience of 1.8 million viewers, which uh, the audience of the quote-unquote finale game this season is up 22% over last year to this point. Good so, stuff. Uh, yeah, we're actually, people are actually watching us out here. Maybe Pac-12 After Dark is catching on. Who knows? That's a little bit of a, a, some shrapnel from the stat bomb earlier. Um, yeah. <laughs> s- Save for the end of the end of the podcast. Yep. Well done. Yep. Speaking Always of that, keep one in the chamber. <laughs> speaking of one uh, ESPN broadcast, Brock Heward is really, really good at his job. Um, yes. Color commentator. Um, he was he was phenomenal. His cadence is great. There's not a single time in that game where you felt that he was flustered. Uh, Brock Heward... A, the first sports jersey I ever owned, a nice youth, nice. youth small, purple number seven jersey. Um, and then uh, B, your OKG of the week because he is uh, the best ESPN college commentator, uh, color Real guy. Real value add. Yes. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Brock Hewards. Agreed. I was actually going to bring that up earlier when we were talking about the game, so I'm glad you brought it up now. Very deserving. Yeah. I, I hope we get we get more Brock as the season goes on. Um, all right, that was uh, that was jam packed as always. We we way overshot our time estimate, yep. but um, yep. not forty five minutes. But nope, we'll, we'll take nope, it. not at all. But uh, uh, all good stuff. Let's uh, let's put this one to bed. Go dogs! Take care of business against the, uh, the funkily named BYU Cougars. Um, should be a good one. Once again, the song is "I'm a Husky Baby." by Jory Fogerson and uh, the other one is Too Complex by The Sixth Sense and The Kid Daytona. Uh, great week. Go dogs. You know the motto, go hard or go home. Serving you things like Russell Crowe and Rome. Uh-huh, don't let the leash come off. We exposing all teams who souls. Train killing dogs who put in endless work. It's the dog pound, suck that step up or get murked. Growling and barking, coming down the tunnel. Uh-oh, the wild dog broke out of the kennel. All they want to do is run a hit. So watch out, cause you about to get big. Sorry you buns in the pack, can't